in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we are nearing the end of our time in his account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this passage this morning that we're going to jump into in just a moment, uh, I, I think I can imagine that it will, it will grip our hearts this morning. Because in this passage, Jesus is talking to Peter in advance of Peter's denial of even knowing him. In advance of his failure, Jesus is actually ministering to Peter before Peter fails him. It's a pretty sobering text because I don't know how you would stack up against a leader, a guy like Peter, but I know how I would stack up against a leader like Peter. And if a guy like Peter can fail, and miserably so, um, how much more do I have to attune to my own temptations and my own abilities to yield way? We've We've seen others, even in the past few years, high-profile leaders within Christianity who have apostatized. We've seen people depart from the faith. This is no mere token here. This is, this is a warning to us. It's a reminder to us. And ultimately, it's a refreshment to us because of what Christ ultimately communicates to Peter. But, but I pray this morning that as we walk through this simple and probably fairly familiar text that, that we would remember a few things about ourselves and we would ultimately remember something great about our Savior, Jesus Christ. The context here for those who have not been with us lately is this is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, and, and as he shared the Last Supper with the disciples, you know, his, his heart is growing heavy before them. And and yet it seems to us that they, they are totally unaware of that. In fact, you know, they're at the table. Jesus says, you know, one of you will lift up your hand against me. And they're like, oh, who's he talking about? Judas leaves, but they don't seem to understand that it's Judas. And then what's happening next, as we read last week in the, in the text, is that they're arguing among themselves about who's the greatest. You know, here Jesus is about ready to walk and be crucified as the innocent one on the cross. And, and here they're, they're arguing about who is the greatest. Jesus reminds them with great patience, no doubt, that it's those who serve that are the greatest in the kingdom of God. Those who, who make themselves low. Not those who demand to be served, but those who serve others. Those are the ones who are great in the kingdom of God. The mark of the great Christian. Jesus says, excuse me, is found not in expecting to be served, but in taking the form of a servant. Last week's message was good for me. I needed to be reminded of the truth that, that our call as Christians is to wrap the towel around our waist and to wash one another's feet. And that's what he says is great. In our text then this morning, Jesus transitions now and he's, he's looking at Peter. And he has some words to say to Peter that, again, uh, probably familiar. But my prayer is that they will become, uh, in one sense, unfamiliar, afresh to us this morning as we think about our own weakness and our own need for Jesus Christ. So let's read together. Again, I'm in Luke 
Luke 22, starting at verse 31 through verse 34. These are the words of God. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Father, as we look into your word this morning, as we humble ourselves and ask that by your Holy Spirit you would come and visit us this morning, we pray that this text, which may be somewhat familiar to us, God, that you would make it alive to us, that the promise in this text would be something that carries us throughout our days together, and Lord, that we would, we would have a heart, our hearts attached to this truth and these texts. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, dear friends, I have uh, one singular point, the the one point that I want to make that I think is, is most pervasive in this passage is this. Christ's prayers keep us. That's, that's the main point. That's the only point that I'm going to focus on this morning. Christ's prayers for us, they have a keeping effect upon us. I appreciate the fact that there is this dialogue of the disciples that is preserved by God for us so that we can see at times how the disciples missed the point of Jesus so that we are actually comforted when at times we too might miss the point of Jesus. You know, in verse 31, Jesus begins by directing his thoughts toward Peter. And notice, notice in the text, if you put your eyes there, verse 31, notice what he calls him. And, and he calls him this twice. He says, Simon, Simon. Now, we have to ask the question right away because he's not been calling him Simon for a long time now. Jesus has been calling Simon Peter. Remember when he, he changed his name from the given name of Simon to, to Peter? It's when Jesus, excuse me, it's when, when Peter actually declared, you are the Christ. And Jesus officially changed his name. He's like, you're Peter. This is your new name. So why might Jesus, in that moment, on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before his crucifixion, why might Jesus have changed his name in one sense and said, Simon, Simon? Uh, could it be that Jesus was reminding Peter, who will be rocked in his own world in just a few hours, and who will be talking very proudly in just a moment, could it be that Jesus is reminding him that he is still, in fact, a man of flesh, a man who can bend under pressure, that though God had used him in the past, that, that he was one who walked on the water, that he was one that God had, had utilized in the past, that, that he was not so strong that he didn't need the help of Christ. And maybe, maybe, this is just in the realm of guess, maybe Jesus was signaling something to Peter 
and saying, Peter, we know that you're a bold man. We know that you're a leader. But Simon, Simon, I'm saying something to you here. Pay attention. There's something for Peter and there's something for us. You know, you might think that, that Jesus using his old name might have gotten Simon's attention, but it doesn't seem to as the text goes on. So he says, Simon, Simon, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan's activity and the events leading up to the crucifixion of Christ are evident Throughout this narrative, even at the beginning of the chapter, it says, quote, Satan entered into Judas the Iscariot. Satan's activity in Judas caused him to, uh, quote, turn aside to go to his own place, as Luke records for us in Acts. So Satan is actively present in the proceedings of this week. Now, we here in 2021 in our Western postmodern world uh, mindset, we, we don't often think about the activity of Satan. We don't, we don't just like to think about it. We don't naturally think about it. But, but here is an account that reminds us that Satan is, in fact, active and at work in the world. He's at work, in fact, in Judas. And he's asking God now to be at work in Peter. Simon is in danger and he needs to pay attention. Similar to how Satan had asked permission of God to afflict Job, he has desired to do the same to Peter and the other leaders that were present with him. This is a sober reminder, friends, because Satan in Revelation 12 is called the accuser of the brethren. That's what Satan does. He accuses the brethren. He looks for unfaithfulness among the people of God. He aims to undermine faith in God, as we saw as he slithered around in the Garden of Eden, trying to get Adam and Eve to, to be swayed in their opinion of God and go their own way. Satan does this by providing occasions for great temptation, for failure, as he actively seeks to oppose the people of God, as he actively works against them. See, the, the emphasis on Satan's desire to sift Peter therefore suggests that when Peter fails him, Jesus, in just a few hours, that it's due to something more than simply his own frailty, that Satan is a part of Peter's failure a little bit later. This is the work of the devil himself. If Satan can influence the apostles, if Satan can influence the top leader among the leaders, namely Peter himself, well then he can influence the other ones through Peter's poor example. And maybe, just maybe, he could crush the faith of the disciples and stop this whole mission from going forth before it even gets off the ground. This is the work of our enemy there's nothing he would enjoy more than to batter and to beat the brethren. I'm reminded that Peter himself later in his, in his letter to, to the church, he, he wrote in 1 Peter 5, he wrote this about the activity of our enemy. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Now, again, this isn't just for first century Christians. This is for us this morning. 
in our day-to-day life. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Our enemy is, is like that lion who is hungry and looking for his next meal. He's prowling around. Peter experienced this personally, firsthand. So when he writes this reminder, he's, he's undoubtedly remembering this night when he, when he betrayed Christ, when he said to, to someone in the courtyard, I, I've never even met the man. He remembers the influence of Satan upon him. He's experienced this. Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat. So I think it stands to a good question to ask, how is wheat sifted? What did he mean by that phrase? Well, one commentator noted that the common imagery in that agrarian culture, they would have all known what this means. We don't exactly know what this means. He said it would have been like a grain, a piece of grain in a sieve, which is like a strainer. It has holes. And and when that's shaken, Uh, Things fall off. The whole thing falls apart. And that's what Satan wanted to do. That's what Satan asked to do to Peter. He wanted to shake his faith apart like a, a grain of wheat in a sieve. That's what he wanted to do. This is the intention of our enemy, dear friends. You know, sometimes does not the Christian life feel like such a strong battle? Are you with me this morning? It feels like a battle. We have an enemy who wants to sift us like we and press us down in that sieve and make us come apart. That's his intention. And, you know, quite honestly, sometimes we we do wonder, why does God even allow Satan these things? Why why does God grant Satan any ability to have any of his demands? Why, Why did God allow Job, him to afflict Job like he did. Why did he allow him to afflict Peter? And in thinking through an answer, I quickly remind myself that God is the all-wise creator and I am just the created. That his ways are infinitely higher than mine. His wisdom is infinitely broader than myself. And at the moment when I might be might be wondering, Lord, why? I can also stand and say to God, you you are sovereign in the heavens and, and your ways are higher than my ways. And you know what? I also look to the cross because if God loves you and me so much that he sent Christ to sacrifice himself for us, then we can trust in the mysteries of God's providential interaction with his enemy, Satan, that we can trust that if God loves us that much to crush his own son, that he's going to not let anything beyond what we can bear to come to us. Therefore, we can trust him. See, sometimes I imagine you might wrestle with, Lord, why? Why evil in this world? Why evil in my life? Lord, why can't I be preserved from having these difficulties? We can trust the Lord who sent his own son to the cross as a demonstration of his great and mighty affection for us. That he would pour out all of the judgment of our sins on Jesus Christ so that we can go free. We can trust that kind of God. Can we not this morning? We can trust him even while there is mystery. Yes, 
the refining fire may come to you and it may come to me in ways that we never thought possible. It may come. But the one through which it ultimately comes is not Satan. God is in charge. See, Satan has intentions, but God has limitations. There is one will who will supersede all, and it's not Satan's. So in fact, as, as Satan was trying to harness Peter's life and, and in fact destroy it, the one who was superintending it all was God. Joel Green says it well. He says, Peter and the others will temporarily succumb but they will recover. And what is more, far from thwarting the divine will, the events now unfolding are actually caught up in God's intention. I draw this out because I know that some of you this morning suffer significantly. I know that some of you are walking through challenging seasons where you just the goodness of God and, and your experience right now, they, they just seem like two things that aren't coming together. And it might even seem like, like you're being sifted by Satan himself. And I say these things to say, who, who's in charge in this passage? Is, is Satan's will winning out over God's ordained sovereign purposes? They will never. They will never. Though trials may come, the Lord's will will prevail. So let's, let's answer the question. How do we believers stand under the attack of the enemy? Well, we stand because of what the promise says here, that Jesus prays for us. We stand because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We stand because we have the power of resurrection within us. And we can stand, Jesus says to Peter, and, and how comforting this would be to hear this. He says, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. In your weak moments, wouldn't that be helpful to have Jesus come alongside of you and say, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In the wee hours of the morning when, when you're just awake and racked with wonder about what God is doing and how he's going to bring all things to conclusion, wouldn't it be great if Jesus just showed up in your room by your bedside and took you by the hand and said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Well, in fact, he does do that because this promise is not just for Peter this morning, this promise is for us as well. What hope and strength we gain in knowing that Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, is praying for us. And I, I want to draw our eyes and our attention to two great and precious promises this morning from Scripture related to Jesus' intercession for us. First from Hebrews. This is gold, dear friends. Let's go to the bank with this. Consequently, he is able, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus always, dear friends, lives to make intercession for you. 
Trust me, dear friends, I am preaching to myself. Jesus is alive this morning at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for you. He will hold you fast. When everything else seems like it's failing, Christ will hold us fast because he is interceding for us. Promise and precious dear promise number two. Who is to condemn? Remember, what, what, is, what is the activity of Satan? He's the great accuser of the brethren. He's the condemner. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he beat death. He was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Oh, man. We can go home right now. Jesus is interceding for me. Okay. I can take that and walk all day long, Jesus, in his intercession for me. See, Peter's going to fail. We know the story. We know when he gathers in that courtyard and he, he starts warming himself by that fire because he's cold too. And, and people start actually looking at him closely. and It's like, wait a minute, you were one of them. It's like, no, no, no. I, I mean, he didn't just deny Jesus one time. You know, it was three times. Like, hey, you were one of those. In fact, you're, you're from Galilee. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It seems like his denial ratchets up with each accusation. This is Peter, the strong man, the bold one, the rock. And he quibbled under the face of temptation. How does Peter stand? He stands because Jesus prayed for him that his faith would not fail. Not only, I mean, this is a story of great redemption because not only did he pray that his strength wouldn't fail, but Jesus, he commissioned him again to greater fruitfulness and faithfulness on the other side. Look what he says in verse 32. What a great promise. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What is he saying to Peter? Peter, you're going to fail me. You're going to fail me. You're going to deny that you even know me three times. But after that, you're going to go out and you're going to weep bitterly. And you're going to repent of that sin. And then I'm going to restore you on the beach. I'm going to take you and ask you three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time you're going to say, yes, Lord, I love you. And after that restoration, you know what you're going to do, Peter? You are going to strengthen your brothers and sisters in the Lord. See, God is a God of redemption and though we may fail in the flesh, God has a way to restore that which we have fallen into, that which we have failed in, in ways that are beautiful, in ways that are miraculous, in ways that give him the glory and honor. See, Peter, when he talks about the devil like a roaring lion, the very next verse, he says this, resist him, meaning the devil, Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're not alone in the sufferings that come to us. We're not alone. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, what will he do? He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Again, this is Peter writing. 
I, I have to believe that as he's writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is taken back, he is transported in his mind to that place of his denial and then that place of his restoration on the beach. And now as he's writing, he's, he's penning scripture, the very one who denied Christ, he is writing holy scripture. And he's saying this is the purpose of God to restore and to confirm and to strengthen and to establish you. So let me ask this question. Is there anyone in this room who has ever failed Christ? Okay, I think that's a, fa- a, a safe question. Is there anyone who has failed Christ? And if you say to that, oh, you have no idea how I have failed Christ. What I say to you is, you know what let's, let's do? We're going to do this at the end in, in just a few moments. We're going to run to Christ together. We're going we're to celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because you know what? This room is filled with a bunch of failures. In our own strength, in our own abilities, we will deny Christ. We will fail him. We are not inherently faithful. That's why we say wedding vows during our marriage. We say it because we're not inherently faithful. And therefore, we need the strength of Christ. Christ wants to use us in spite of our own failings. This was a great grace to Peter. Peter still, however, I mean, just to be fair to the text, Peter still isn't getting it. Now, this is a picture of of, um, unbridled pride here on Peter's part. I mean, first of all, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, Simon, hey, Simon, reminding him like, hey, you once were not the rock. In fact, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Simon, Simon, you're going to fail me. What does Peter say? How does he respond? Look at verse 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now remember, what what were the disciples talking about just prior? They were talking about who's greatest. Like, okay, who of us is like, who's awesome here? Who's got the most faith? Who's the greatest? I wonder if, Maybe Peter was thinking, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to tell you right now. It doesn't matter if all these guys fall away. I'm going to be the one. I'll go with you to prison. I'll follow you in death, which, in fact, he will, as we have in the book of Acts. But not before he gets sifted. Not before he experiences where his own strength brings him not before he is humbled by his own failure. See, when God brings us to the point where we see our own weakness, when we recognize our own inability to accomplish the very things that he calls us to, we can't accomplish those things in our own strength. And when we realize that, when we are humbled, when we look actually to Christ, then what does he do? He uses us. There's a church filled with people here who love Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ desires and does use for his very purposes. And he says, uh, in response to Peter's proud submission, he says, "I, I tell you, Peter, there's no pleasure in Christ when he's saying this to him. Jesus hears his 
statement, I'll, I'll go with you to prison, I'll go with you to death. He says, you know, Peter, um, the rooster's not going to crow three times tonight, signaling the end of the evening until you've denied that you even know me. Peter, in this moment of bold confidence, in this moment of saying, Lord, no way, no way, I'll never disown you. Maybe you have the same thoughts. Maybe you feel the same way, like there's no way I would ever disown Christ. You know, all we have to do is, is look at the world around us. At our last men's breakfast, in the fall, John Niederhouse, a former pastor of Lighty's Church, spoke to us at that men's breakfast, and he held up a book in his hand that was just published five years ago. And three of the endorsements on the back of that book, three of those men had since just five years prior, when they're writing endorsements for Christian books, had to varying degrees fallen away from Christ. Now let me ask you, are we all safe here? We don't need to worry about this. This is not our concern. Hey, we are, we are the people of God. Well, to the degree that, that we are in Christ, we are secure. However, these warnings exist for our good and for our sake. So I want to move us now to a place of application. Okay, what is this what does this mean for us uh, in our day-to-day lives? Well, I think very, I'm going to keep it really simple here. Uh, application point number one, recognize that we're all weak apart from Christ. Recognize that, that, that we don't have it in and of ourselves, that, that we must not respond to the threat of sin and, and disavowal like Peter did and say, oh, that's not a problem for me. I've got no issue here. No, in fact, we do. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Let us put no confidence in the flesh, the Apostle Paul says. We are in and of ourselves not strong. Now, I'm not denying that for the moment uh, this, th- these things are true, that That Christ, in Christ, we have great power. In Christ, in fact, we can overcome all because Christ has defeated death and he he has given us the power. But, But the difference is, Peter was not looking to Christ for his power. He was looking within. We must look to Christ for our power. We must put our gaze there. For every one look at sin, we look at ten looks at Christ on the cross and his resurrection power in our hearts. But we we must recognize that we're all weak to sin. Let me talk very frankly now. Tonight, on the internet, when you're scrolling, talk to me about the power of sin to bring you in. Men and women who think that they are strong find, in fact, that they are weak. This relates to every area of our life, in our pursuits, in our relationships. Things that we think we would never yield ourselves to, we must beware, we must recognize that apart from Christ, we can do 
nothing. So it starts with humility. It starts with admitting our need for the Lord. It starts by saying, Lord, you warned me in the scripture to stay true to you, to keep my eyes on you. Um, the response that, that he doesn't want to see is, I got it. I got it. No, we're sobered. And we say, Lord, we look to you. So we recognize, number one, that we're all weak apart from Christ. And second, second point of application is we humble ourselves and we look to Jesus. Be assured this morning that, that Jesus is praying for you, that Jesus ever lives to intercede for you because Jesus has not destined us for weakness, but in fact, power living through him. That's what he's saying to Peter here. He's like, Peter, you know what? In the flesh, you're going to deny me three times, but I have prayed for you that your faith will prevail. So we look to Christ this morning. We admit our weaknesses. We say, yes, we are vulnerable. In fact, more vulnerable than we realize. But humility also means looking out and looking up and recognizing the power of our Savior to keep us. We're going to sing in a moment that song that I think our church just loves. It's one of our, I think it's one of our favorite songs. Um, he will hold me fast. Why are we going there? Because that's the truth of this passage. It's Christ's prayer that holds us fast, not our faith in and of ourselves. No, it's Christ. That holds us fast. So in humility, we look beyond ourselves and we cast our gaze to Jesus Christ. He ever lives to intercede for us. And so, dear friend, this morning, I'm not sure what's going on inside of your heart this morning. Maybe you're feeling victorious. Praise God when we experience the victory over sin and over challenges. Praise the Lord. I believe he desires us to walk in that kind of victory. But in a room this size, I know that not everyone is feeling that way this morning. In fact, some this morning may perhaps be feeling like you're being sifted right now. And this morning, what I want to say to you on the authority of God's word is, if you're in Christ, you're being prayed for. And the one who's praying for you will keep you. He doesn't lose anyone. In his hand. He says, I and the Father were one. No one snatches one of mine out of my hand. No one. The songwriter Martin Luther, the theologian, wrote a song that I was thinking about singing this at the close, but we're just going to read it now just to be reminded of the truth and authority of God as he is working all things according to his power. He says this, just, just enjoy these lyrics once again. A mighty fortress is our God. This is who we cling to this morning. A bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. Amen? Say it with me. We will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. 
the prince of darkness, grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, oh, what sweet promise. His doom is sure. One little word will fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts, praise God, they're ours. Through him who with us sideth, let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom, his power, his victory over all these things. It is forever. This morning, this dear friends, dear church, we hold fast to the author of that kingdom whose truth will never fail. He is praying and interceding for you this morning. He is the God of all gods. I want to ask the worship team to come and join me on stage now as we prepare to respond to this word. While they do, I just want to take a moment uh, as well to share with you an update from my family. I wouldn't do this often, uh, but I, I want to do this this morning so that you can help. You may know that for the past six years, uh, my son Micah, my youngest, 17 years old, has struggled with chronic pain. This past year, uh, the past six months in particular, uh, his pain has gotten increasingly worse, such that he, uh, he's missing school. And in the coming week, Lord willing, uh, he'll be hospitalized in a program designed to help break the cycle of the intensity of the pain. This is a live-in, 24-7 facility in New Jersey, and the program is very intense, and it will last from four to six weeks, so we won't see him for four to six weeks here. Um, they've made a, 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 re, a, a bed for Julie or I to spend the night there. Um, here's the thing. We need your prayer support. We are a family in need. And you know what? I've been grateful. We have been grateful over the years for the way that you as our family have already come alongside of us. We're so grateful. You have and done so beautifully. I want to share with you one way, by the way. When we were, when Micah was first diagnosed with this a number of years ago and we were giving weekly chemotherapy injections, this had been six years ago, on Wednesday nights every night for two and a half years. <laughs> One night we were giving him the injection and I, I just caught a sight of somebody outside my door. And this is like 10 o'clock at night, so it's not exactly the time that we'd have guests. And if one of you were among those crowd, I, I just want to say again, thank you. What was happening at 10 o'clock on one Wednesday night was about 15 of you gathered on our front stoop and you were praying for us. I can't tell you how meaningful that was. We're at a place now where we need your help. We need your prayers. And as Micah goes to this thing, he apparently 
couldn't get out of bed this morning either because he hasn't gone yet. Lord willing, this week he'll be there um, for the next four to six weeks. Um, But I just appeal to you. You're my family. And we need you. And we humble ourselves and just ask for your help and your strength. And, you know, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, I'm learning to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Let me say it again. I'm learning to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages. I'm learning that. We're confident in the Lord. We're walking with the Lord. We're assured of his promises. It's also painful. So thank you in advance for your prayers and for walking with us in what is a difficult time for our family.